Welcome to the sermon podcast of Forks Community Church, located in Easton, Pennsylvania. For more information about the church, please go to ForksCommunityChurch.org. If you enjoyed this sermon and want others to hear about it, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. Thank you very much and enjoy this week's sermon. So in this series, Haunted, we've been addressing the haunts that hold us back from loving and serving God and others in the way that he wants us to. Uh, We've addressed the haunt of a dysfunctional family. We've addressed the haunt of failure. And so if you're like, oh, well, those sound like messages that are for me, uh, don't worry. They're, They're not lost. They are on our app. So you can simply go to our app or our website and you can download or watch those messages. Um, You can also listen to those messages on iTunes. We do have Forks Community Church podcast, so those sermons are uploaded. You can subscribe to that, and you can be made notified when those sermons are live so that you can listen on your way to work or whatever uh, God is leading you to do. So today's uh, message is on the haunt of grief. Uh, Grief is an interesting one because unlike the other topics we've covered in this series, it's a haunt that we may never get over, just to be realistic with you. But we can get through grief, and that's what Ruth did. We're going to look at Ruth, this, this woman from the Old Testament, and her story is in the book that bears her name, the Book of Ruth. Now, what I love about Ruth in contrast to the other two case studies, Joshua and Moses, who were very powerful leaders, Ruth is just a modest widow. Just a modest widow. And we're going to read the introduction to her life in Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Not a long reading, but we, we get a picture here of the grief that she's dealing with. So let's read it and you can follow along on the screen in front of you. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Now, Ruth begins here, um, very interestingly enough, by telling us the time period of her life, during the time of the judges. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, that's a really important clue to us. So that the events of this book are taking place during the same period as the period of judges. Now, two judges you might be familiar with, Gideon and Samson. You ever hear those names before? Yeah, so we might refer to those guys as the two studs from the book of Judges, all right? But the interesting thing about these two guys who became mighty warriors, they weren't really men that we want to emulate in our lives. 
Uh, Gideon was kind of very fearful, was hedging at doing what God wanted him to do. He had a trouble really just trusting God and taking God at his word. So he always had to be like, well, God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to put this fleece out. That's not really something we're to emulate either as followers of Jesus. And then there's Samson, guy of great potential and strength. And he squandered it time and time again. He was a womanizer. He really was. But yet God worked in him. So here are two studs that God used, and yet we come to Ruth. Ruth isn't a mighty warrior. She's simply just this modest woman who simply followed the hand of God in her life day by day. And God used her in a great way, and we're going to find out how he used her. And I think that's an important lesson uh, for us. You know, as a church, one of our values is we want to make bold moves for the kingdom of God. I firmly believe that. There's times where God just wants us to step out in great faith and attempt something great for him. And we should do that. But there's also another side to that coin where God just simply wants us to obey him in the everyday circumstances of our everyday life. And God honors the faithfulness of both of those. And so let's not think that we can't do anything great for God just because we're not like Gideon, or we're not like Deborah, or we're not like Samson. Ruth shows us that God can do great things in us simply by being faithful to him in the ordinary events of our everyday lives. Does that make you feel more encouraged now? Like, hey, huh. simply be faithful to God in the circumstances of your life right in front of you. We could say Ruth did change the world, but in a small ordinary way. She didn't lead a revival. She didn't fight in a battle. She didn't slay a giant. She simply sought to look for and follow the hand of God in her everyday life. And so if you've been haunted by grief, God's encouragement to you today is this. You can overcome the haunt of grief by holding on to the healing hand of God. You can overcome the haunt of grief by holding on to the healing hand of God. So we need to define our terms here. What do we mean by the hand of God? God doesn't physically have a hand. So this reference is, is what uh, theologians call anthropomorphic language. That will help you in jeopardy someday. So just put it in the back of your mind. Here's what it is. It's attributing human characteristics to God, okay? That's what it is. That's what the hand of God is. It's, it's that anthropomorphic reference. And so the hand of God simply is a reference or a symbol of his favor, guidance, instruction, and discipline in our life. Just one biblical reference here just to help you understand it. This is kind of a reference to the favor of God. It says, the hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. So that's an illustration of God's favor upon Judah. So why does this matter to the book of Ruth? It matters because of this. The name God is hardly referenced in the book of Ruth. His name is mentioned like from the lips of the characters as they're talking about God. But in the book of Ruth, it's not saying, and God did this, and God did that. But rather, his hand of God is seen in the places and in the people in whom he's working. Ruth shows God working out his purposes in the people and the places around us. And so if we're going to overcome the haunt of grief in our lives, we need to hold on to the healing hand of God. Now, in order to do that, we need to use these. 
our eyes. Specifically, the eyes of faith. We have to be looking for God. So here's a little hint for you all, a little help. Lots of times I get people asking me, I want to know the will of God for my life. And they usually wanted to know who to marry, who to date, what job to take. Again, important questions. But you know what I found, and I think what Scripture teaches? We can better know the answers to those questions if we're obeying the will of God in our everyday lives. What he's shown us in his word, if we're following his commands, we're reading his word, we're praying, and we're really seeking God, some of those big questions become a lot more easier to answer. Okay, does that make sense? So if we follow God in the small things, the big things become easier to answer. Get it? Okay, good. So now you'll never come to me and go, what is... <laughs> Sorry. So the first, the first thing we have to look for with the eyes of faith, we look for God's hand in the places around us, the places around you. So... We've learned the the challenge here with Ruth and Naomi. They are without husbands. They're without children. Now, to us, it's like, okay, yeah, that's really tragic. But I really don't want to think we understand as Americans how severe this is. So they're living in a time where they can't rely upon government. They can't rely upon Social Security. In In that day and age, children were your Social Security which is why they wanted to have so many kids, okay? So here are Ruth and Naomi in dire straits thinking, what in the world are we going to do? They are facing a crisis of epic proportions. What are they going to do? Where will they go? Well, they use their ears in this instance. Verses 6 and 7, we didn't read it. They, They set out to return to Bethlehem from the territory of Moab because they heard from people in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. They learned that the hand of God was showing favor to their people back in Bethlehem. So they act on what they hear, and they go back to the place of Bethlehem. Do you guys know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. That seems like a pretty good place to go, right, for food. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's go to Bethlehem. So the next time you're going through Bethlehem, no, never mind. Uh, they return to Bethlehem. And to fast forward in chapter 2, the Lord provides a place for them to gather grain for food. We, we learn in verse 3a of chapter 2, Ruth left and entered this field to gather grain behind the harvesters. And all that was because they paid attention to God's hand in the places around them. So can you think in your life of a defining moment in which you clearly saw God's hand move in a place? Maybe even a difficult time. I mean, there's probably so many. I had difficulty of thinking of just one because there's so many to think of. But I actually thought of one which was a, very, which was a difficult time in my life, a, a not-so-great moment. I used to work as a chef, and I was working at a, a French bistro in Lancaster called JM's Bistro. And um, the, the owner had two restaurants, and so I had to take one cook 
from JM's Bistro to the Starfish Grill over near Park City in Lancaster. So I drop them off. I'm coming back. I'm daydreaming. I'm thinking about this mountain bike trip I'm going to take. And suddenly, pow, I T-boned a car, ran through a red light. Fortunately, no one was injured. But back at the restaurant, a co-worker who was not for the things of God says to me, where was God in your accident? That really got me thinking. And I said, well, here's where God was. If that accident would have been a few hours later, there would have been kids walking home from school. That's where God's hand was in that event. See, it's not always like things that make us feel good, right? But we can see how God's hand, we can see the silver lining in events. Just like last year when we lost our sound equipment in the great flood at Bushkill Park. It was not a good event, but you know what? As a result of it, some other churches came forward with money, and we got better equipment. And now, Lord willing, we don't have to worry about a flood, I'm hoping. But hopefully you can think of an experience like that in your own life, where you clearly saw God's hand moving in a place around you. Now, very specifically for those who are maybe dealing with grief this morning, you might be thinking, well, what are, where are places where I could really experience God's healing hand as I'm just dealing with this grief right now? Well, I think one place where you can find God's healing hand is right here. It's kind of obvious, like staring right in front of us, right? This is a place, and I know the church isn't a building, but we are worshiping in a place, right? Here on a Sunday morning, this is one place, an hour each Sunday, where you can experience God's healing hand. And that's not always through the preaching. Sometimes it's through the music. You hear a song, the words really grip you. That's God's healing hand. Or maybe it's through the, well, we're, gonna, we're not going to go there. I can't give away my second point. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert. But, you know, the idea is God is at work in the places around us. Another place that God often works to help those dealing with grief is Grief Share. That's like a 13-week support group for people dealing with grief. It's a place where you can overcome the haunt of grief by holding on to the healing hand of God. And if that's something you're interested in, I'd be happy to connect you to a local Grief Share. There are many around us here in churches and even down at Cornerstone Ministries in Easton. So look for God's hand in the places around you. That's the first place to look. The second place to look is to look for God's hand in the people around you. The people around you. Ruth's story is full of God's hand at work in people. And Ruth was actually a person in whom God worked. So Naomi, her mother-in-law, is just really in misery really in misery. And God uses Ruth to kind of pull Naomi along to get her to the place that God wanted her to be. And we, we hear Naomi's misery in verses 20 and 21 of, of Ruth 1. I mean, listen to this. You can almost like hear her tone. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. 
Boy, that's raw, isn't it? That's real stuff. Now, Naomi is operating from a skewed perspective here. But it's important that when we are listening to people like Naomi, we don't try to correct them. But we listen, we acknowledge their pain. And that's what Ruth did here. Now, I will say as an aside, there's something worth pointing out here about Naomi. Yes, her pain is real. But in the midst of our pain, we have to avoid succumbing to self-pity. Self-pity cries out to others instead of crying out to God. Self-pity says, I want to be pitied. I want to complain because in doing that, guess what happens? I get noticed. Self-pity fails to recognize there's a God who's counting your tears. Self-pity fails to recognize there's a God who sees and hears your pain. And that's all you need to know. Now, in saying that, I'm not going on the flip side saying, keep it all stuffed inside and don't say anything. You guys know I get emotional wreck up here at times, right? So, so, so when, when we are grieving, we have a bunch of books in the Bible called like Lamentations, Psalms, Lament Psalms to help us do what? Pour our hearts out to God. But we shouldn't be walking around constantly, can I tell you about my pain? If people ask, okay, that's appropriate. If someone says, you know, hey, Tim, how are you doing? I'm really struggling right now. That's appropriate. That's speaking the truth in love. Do you guys understand the, the difference there? Okay, good. Self-pity wants to hold on to that hurt, right? Because they enjoy the attention they get instead of, instead of receiving that healing hope that Jesus offers. I mean, think about this. Jesus even grieved. He grieved over the death of Lazarus. We, we hear his lament in the Garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 5 talks about Jesus, the great high priest, who cried out with groans and cries to God. And so that we can cry that way out to God. But Jesus suffered more than we ever will, but yet he was not guilty of self-pity. And the reason we should not commit the sin of self-pity is because we have a Savior who can identify with us, who can relate to us. And so let's reject that sin of self-pity. As I, as I thought about this, you know, I thought, man, there's times I'm guilty of that. There's times I'm like, man, I wish people knew how hard I worked. I wish people in the church saw, like, everything I deal with behind the scenes. What's that? That self-pity. Go ahead, say it. Call me out, guys. Say what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Saved by grace. <laughs> That's Mike's last Sunday here, so I'm just kidding. 
So yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of that too. And, and so we have to l- really listen for that in our lives. Now here's the thing, like as Naomi, we want to be like Naomi or Ruth was to Naomi. She heard her mother-in-law's pain, but she's like, let's go here. Let's go where God is leading us. And that's our role in helping the grieving, right? We want to be that channel of healing to them, to those haunted by grief. So, you know, Ruth stuck by Naomi, and God used her to help Naomi overcome the haunt of grief. So we need to look for God's hand in the people around us. Uh, Ruth was that person in Naomi, and this guy named Boaz and Ruth, was that person for Ruth and Naomi. And we get introduced to him in Ruth chapter 2. I refer to Boaz as a righteous dude with all kinds of resources. And he's the one who owned this field that Ruth and Naomi end up harvesting in. And we find out in verse 1 here of Ruth 2 that he was a relative of theirs of her husband, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And so again, God's hand leads them to this field. Boaz shows them favor. He says, hey, you, you can glean in this field. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep you know, some of my, my, my laborers who aren't as righteous as I. I'm going to keep them away from you. I'm going to give you protection. So here's a guy, he's a man of God, and what is he doing? He's being perceptive to their plight. I hope the people of FCC, we will be known as people who are perceptive to the needs around us. That we, are, we show an awareness for the hurting. You know, as I think about the my life as a young man in my 20s when I was working in the restaurant industry, when I was working out in Colorado, down in Georgia, in Wyoming, God always placed people, Christians, in my life in those places who poured into me. And that had a huge impact on me. Because as a young man growing up, I said, I want to be that person. I want to be perceptive. I want to be pouring into the lives of people around me. And so I hope every Sunday morning when we come in here, we're not just saying, what can I get out of this? But what can I give others? Can I be perceptive to someone who's maybe sitting off in the corner looking sullen and downcast? Why go, oh, what's their problem? Or will I go, Come beside them and listen to them, greet them. And, and you guys do a great, great job of being perceptive to our, our guests. In fact, my, my greater concern isn't that people won't be welcomed well. <laughs> my greater concern is, my goodness, are we smothering them? <laughs> but, but keep doing what you're doing. But be perceptive, right? If someone's kind of walking in like this, all right, well, maybe just let them be. Let them go. So let's be that channel of of, of blessings to others. And that's why here at FCC we value relationships so much. We are relationally driven in what we do. 
So as you think about people who are being perceptive to you, don't do this. Don't shut out the people that Jesus is sending into your life. Because guess what? That's to your own detriment. And I know we all have different levels of, you know, privacy and things like that. I get that. But don't shut those people out. Let them in. And if they're going too far with questions, just say, "Ah, I'm not ready to answer that right now. Okay? But, you know, as a church, that's why we have this blessed thing up there. We want to be a blessing to others. If we've been blessed by Christ, we want to be a blessing to others. And just as a reminder, what are they, guys? B, L, E, first S. Yeah, I'm giving the answers to you. Second one. Yeah, good. I'm just going to remind you. That's our DNA here. It's our missional DNA. And so one way we can be a blessing to people is listening to their pain, right? And that's a way God can use us to minister to others. Boaz was that blessing to Ruth. He blessed Ruth and Naomi with resources. He provided them food, shelter, and stability. And Boaz provided Ruth with one more thing, redeeming love. There's this uh, thing there where Boaz was this kinsman redeemer. It's a foreign concept for us, but it was something the Old Testament law put in place to provide stability to families. And so Boaz accepted this role as a kinsman redeemer. He married Ruth to allow their line to continue. And so Boaz marries Ruth, and they conceive and bear a son, Verses 13 to 14 of chapter 4. But as took Ruth, she became his wife. He slept with her, and the Lord granted conception to her, and she gave birth to a son. Now, we might think, okay, good for them. Life got better, right? That's great for their story. But here's the thing about the end of the book of Ruth. If you're in Christ, this just didn't affect Ruth's story, but your story as well. Ruth closes with a genealogy. You're like, oh, that's boring. But, but notice here about this genealogy in verse 17. They named his son Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Yes, that David, King David. The royal line, the messianic line. And then we just happen to go over to the book of Matthew another genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who's in the genealogy? Ruth, a non-Israelite. Very interesting. Ruth did change the world, didn't she? But not in a dramatic way. She changed the world simply by following the hand of God in her everyday life. God turned her destitution into a dynasty. She's goat, right? (laughs) Greatest of all time. What? Wow, and that's why I just love this story of Ruth. And so here's the deal for us. 
if our hope is in Christ, we share in Ruth's triumph. Because we're in Jesus' family. And if we're in Jesus' family, we belong to a winner. We know that the grief is not the defining moment of our story. Resurrection is. Living hope is. And so if, if you're haunted by grief this morning, let me encourage you to take up today's challenge. That You stop holding on to your hurt and you start holding on to the healing hope Jesus offers. Because Jesus is the Savior who overcame death and he is our living hope. Now, how do we get that power of living hope activated in our lives? Well, I want you to act on one of these steps. The first one is to to check out some of these verses on hope. This isn't all of them. These are some that I'm biased towards. They've really been meaningful to me. But that you look at these verses on hope. You just don't read them. You reflect upon them. You meditate on them. Do I need to tell you guys my illustration of meditation? Meditation is kind of like chewing on the cud. I grew up at a dairy farm, so I watched cows chew. They have four stomachs for a reason. They actually swallow and then regurgitate and chew some more. So may that image stick with your mind, right? (laughs) That you're like, oh, so that's the degree I'm supposed to let the word of God get in me. Yes. Second, uh, you can complete this five-day Bible reading plan. It's called Sitting in Grief. It's from Version. You can, if you have the app, the sermon notes are on the app, and there's a link right to that, that Bible reading plan. A third option is to connect with the local grief share. Again, if that's something that would interest you, I'd be happy to connect you with one. I know Cornerstone Counseling Ministries does one several times a year. So if you're haunted by grief today, acting on these steps, you know what they're going to help you do? They're going to help you stay buoyant. You ever see a buoy out in the water? What holds that buoy in place? A chain that's anchored to the floor of the sea. For us, that anchor is Christ. He's anchoring us, even when we're like, I can't hold on, Lord. He's holding on to us. And so these resources are going to help you have a firmer grip on him as he has his firmest grip upon you. And so here's here's what happens as we come back to self-pity. Why I don't want you to hold on to self-pity is it just drags you down. It keeps trying to pull you under. Holding on to Jesus lifts you up lifts you up. And so I simply end with this question. What are you holding on to? Lord, we thank you for the book of Ruth. We thank you that it conveys such a mighty, encouraging message, even through mundane circumstances. So Lord, we may not be grieving here today, but all of us probably at some level are struggling to try to be more for you. We want to do more for you. And Ruth reminds us that we should simply just be faithful to you 
in the everyday circumstances of our lives and that you can use that in ways beyond our imagination. Help us be faithful. Help those who are being haunted by grief here this morning to hold on to Jesus. And as they hold on to him, may they experience his healing hand in their lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.